Lord, I thank you so much for this morning, and I just thank you for how amazing and powerful you are and how powerful your word is. And I just pray, Lord, that your word would speak to us, God, that we would not be the same, that we would leave transformed and amazed by your awesomeness and your power, God. I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak through us this morning, speak through Grace and I. I just pray that um, you would uh, help us to speak clearly, Lord. I just pray that the interpretation would be clear. And I just pray, God, that um, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you who, this is your first time here, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and right now we're still in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, for me, it's been amazing. Um, it's been refreshing. It's been so convicting. And it's been encouraging to just understand and know that God can transform my own heart and my own life to look like these things that Jesus is talking about. And uh, before we get into the passage uh, today, I'd like to just do a little review here. And so... This is looking at everything we've gone through up to this point. We started first at looking at a life without just what it means to be emptied of ourselves, to uh, be powerless, to be hopeless, uh, to be meek and defenseless, to basically be completely satisfied with who we are, feeling no need to defend ourselves. And welcoming God's power in our life. Then we talked about a life of godliness to be filled with God. We talked about uh, longing for righteousness. And we talked about uh, living in the reality of God's grace despite our own sin. We talked about longing to see reconciliation in our relationships and marriages and friendships. We talked about extending mercy to everyone. We talked about how impurity clouds our thinking and keeps us from a proper perspective. We talked about peacemaking and how if we're impure, then we don't really... Or if, we're, if our heart is impure or polluted, then we don't want unity or peace. Then we talked about a life of opposition and how... Um, there are some who are going to be persecuted and that twice Jesus talked about how we are blessed if we stand up underneath that persecution and that there's a unique blessing for those who endure through opposition and walk with God. And we talked about a life for others, serving others to be the salt and light of the earth. We talked about how Jesus embodied the law and we're called to embody the law. We talked about how anger is like murder. We talked about how lust is like adultery. And last week, Matt went over how God kept his word to us. And so we're also to keep our word towards others. Our yes is to be our yes, and our no is to be our no. So we've gone over a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> and um, as we've studied each of these passages, uh, we've been faced with the reality that it's impossible to live out these things. That it is impossible to live them out on our own strength. And that if, uh, if we're going to live out these things that Jesus is preaching, it's not because 
of us. It's not because we had our Wheaties or we, we had, ate the right foods or had the right amount of sleep. It's because God has literally transformed our hearts. God has changed us and made us so that we can live these things out. And as we've gone through these things, I keep being... I'm brought back to Jesus over and over again and just thinking about how I'm in such desperate need of God's mercy. And Britt had talked about this at the very beginning, like as we go through this, um, we're going to become undone. And I, I definitely have felt that. I have felt undone because I know I can't do these things and I need God to transform my heart in order to do these things. And today we're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. And it's just as intense. <laughs> it's actually really intense. And, and so my hope is that God would just give us a clear understanding of what uh, he's teaching us and that we'll just take God's word for what it says and allow God to work through it in our lives so that we can be what he's designed us to be. So let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 5 verses 38 through 42. It says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is a crazy response, right? This response is impossible without God. It's like it's hard enough for me to take criticism from the people that I love <laughs> and to give to the people that I love and to let people I love borrow from me. But now Jesus is talking about not resisting the evil person. That he's he's talking about helping out these random people and evil people. And remember at the beginning of chapter 5 uh, where we talked about how, where Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What I see here is that Jesus is really giving an example of what people that are meek look like. How people that are meek respond in different situations. Going beyond just lying low or avoiding the situation but literally repaying evil with good. Jesus is showing us how these interactions, how a meek person in each of these interactions shows a perspective that turns the world upside down. And the meek are not about defending themselves. And so the main thing that I'd like to focus on is that followers of Jesus are marked by a supernatural meekness, kindness, and generosity towards others. And so I'd like to start off by first understanding the law. So at the very, in verse 38, Jesus said, 
you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And this is really the foundation of what we're going to be talking about today. And so this is, this is coming from the law. Yeah, go ahead. This is coming from the law. Uh, Matt had talked about the first five books of the Bible, right? The law, the, also known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. I don't know if you've seen the Ten Commandments before or are familiar with this, but this is, this is Moses, according to Hollywood. <laughs> but... Um, so the, God used Moses to bring to his people the law. He also used Moses to take his people out of slavery in Egypt. And this law that Jesus is quoting comes from Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 21. I'm going to go ahead and read this. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with an offense that he has committed. Only on evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established if a malicious witness sorry, if a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing. Then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity, it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And so this law is about witnesses, about being rightly accused or falsely accused. And so if you could go to the next slide. So I, I came up with this little example. I brought back the little PowerPoint people. Um, and so let's say you're missing an ox, all right? And uh, so you think that the man with the baseball cap in the courtyard with the rope stole your ox. And so you tell that person, hey, you owe me $5,000 because my ox is missing now. And then the man with the baseball cap said, you know, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't steal your ox. And so now we have a dispute, right? So there's a, an argument going on here. Now, if the witness wants to take this further, in order to establish uh, the charge, this witness must have at least two witnesses. So if you could go to the next slide. So if you only have one witness, the law required that you have more. And so two or three witnesses were good. And so once the charge was established, then the two people that are dis disputing would go before, if you could go to the next slide, Go before the Lord, the priests, and the judges. And so, and the idea was they're to seek diligently to find out whether or not this was true. Whether or not the man in the cap with a rope in the courtyard stole the ox. And so they would, they would seek diligently to find out. And if they found out that this person was falsely accused, then that person that accused... The, the man in the cap would owe the same amount that that person required of the man in the cap, if that makes sense. <laughs> so in other words, uh, she owes the man in the cap $5,000 because she falsely accused him of taking the ox. And so really, 
what Jesus is doing here is taking the law further. So, so basically the man with the baseball cap would be us. And if we were falsely accused, we would be willing to give that $5,000 to the one who accused us. And that's basically the principle that we're going to be going on today. Uh, one commentator put it this way. He said, These examples portray an unselfish and uncalculated benevolence which thinks only of the other's needs or desires, not of protecting one's own resources or even one, uh, one's honor. So these verses fall under a category of radical, earth-shattering decisions, a lifestyle that will amaze people around us. And so I want to start by looking at verse 39. You can go ahead and take that down. Verse 39, and looking at supernatural meekness. It says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And the idea behind this verse is shame. Ultimate shame. The idea is like just a, a public shame that affects both your identity and your social standing. So kind of like to be disowned by your family. And uh, Jesus, of course, took on this ultimate shame. And I wanted to look at this passage in Matthew chapter 26 here. It says this. Oh, this is after Jesus had been betrayed and arrested. It says, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance. As far as the, car, the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the inn. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death, but they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God, to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated on high at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you, Christ, who is the one that struck you? So Jesus was disowned by his own brothers, right? He was a Jew. He was disowned by Jews. He was insulted. He was slapped. He was handed over to be crucified. And instead of defending himself, he trusted himself to God. He was stripped of his clothes and he didn't defend himself. But he was setting an example of complete meekness and forgiveness to not resist evil people, but to consider them more than themselves. And so, how do we live this out every day? 
And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> How do we live this out every day? But what I know is what we need to do is we need to ask wisdom from God to live this out every day. In each of these circumstances that we face where we're shamed or insulted. Uh, one, one day, my brother, I, I have a younger brother who actually lives over here in the neighborhood. He had uh, taken my sister out to Target. And uh, our, we have a younger sister that is really, really young, like 19 and a half years younger than myself. And uh, at the time, she was really little. And uh, so my brother was giving my mom a break because she had just broken her leg. Um, like, actually had shattered it. And so she was... It took her a while to recover. And so he had taken her to Target and was just walking her around in the stroller. And this lady comes up to him and said to him, You're what's wrong. You're what's wrong with our society. You've ruined our society. It is people like you. And my brother was like, uh, <laughs> what? And she said, you just went and you threw away your life away. You've been sleeping around with people and now you've had a kid and you've just ruined your life. You're what's wrong with our society. <laughs> And uh, my brother was like, just kind of surprised, and I mean, I mean, you could imagine what he may have wanted to say. I, I know, like some of us may have wanted to say some pretty mean things back, because this lady was accusing him of something he didn't do. She was calling him the scum of the earth in Target, right? <laughs> and uh, but. My brother allowed God to work in him, and uh, instead of fighting back, he said, oh, actually, I'm just babysitting my younger sister today. <laughs> and uh, the lady said, oh, that's so kind of you. <laughs> and uh, so it just kind of turned the whole situation around, right? Um, but I, I want this, right? I want this kind of meekness to where when... You know, someone's accusing me of being the scum of society. I, I don't fight back. Where I just, I'm kind. I show generosity back to this person. And this is something that we can't just read this verse and say, okay, you know, Jesus wants me to turn my other cheek after I get slapped and stuff. No problem, right? <laughs> it's just like, these are kind of in the moment things. It's like when someone's attacking you or making fun of you or trying to shame you, um, like, like this lady tried to do to my brother. It's just like, I know inside of me, it's just like, oh, I want to fight back with this person. This person uh, needs to hear the truth. But um, God wants us to have a, a kind heart towards others and respond with love towards even evil people that falsely accuse us or uh, treat us wrongly. And um, really just to demonstrate the kingdom culture to those who don't know God and so that they will be drawn in towards God when they see this kind of love towards others. Jesus also talks about how the meek entrust their possessions to God. Let's uh, look at verse 40 here. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So that the idea 
behind this passage is it taking place in a courtroom. It's a lawsuit, right? And just to provide some context, the tunic, right? What's a tunic? I don't wear tunics. I don't know if any of you have a tunic. But it's kind of like an undershirt, but not totally. It kind of goes down to about right here. And people would sort of wear that under their clothes. And, um, and then the cloak is kind of like a large poncho. You know, you, it fits over all your clothing. The idea is it's to keep you warm. Um, some, some people say that it was even used as a blanket at night. And the cloak was such an important piece of clothing that it was considered a, like a right. Like you, no one can take your cloak from you. That if you had used your cloak as security for a loan, then the lender was required to give the cloak back to you before the sunset so you'd have something warm to sleep in. So what is Jesus saying in this passage? Is that... If someone were to sue you for the shirt off your back, essentially, go ahead and give them your blanket too. Give them, give them even what keeps you warm at night. Even what you have rights to. That's pretty intense, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one to follow. Um, but Jesus really demonstrated this for us. If we look at John 19, 23 through 24, it says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They did divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Could, could you imagine having this kind of love for people to where you would be willing to let people crucify you and then take your clothing? Like in this story, obviously, like if someone was to sue you, right? Going back to the first passage. If someone was to sue you, they felt like you stole something from them or you, sorry, you owe them something. So much so like in this passage that they're willing to take the shirt off your back. And the idea here is you care about them so much that you're like, yeah, here, go ahead, take it and take my blanket too. And this, this kind of attitude is mind-blowing. This is the kind of turn-the-world-upside-down attitude. And this is exactly what Jesus did. The Jews had felt that Jesus had done so much wrong that the only proper punishment was insult, humiliation, and death. But Jesus had no sin. He had every reason to retaliate. He had, they had only had fictitious evidence. And he could have stopped everything. He's God. But he didn't. Why? Because of his love for us. He knew that if he walked in complete meekness and humility, God's awesome, powerful, amazing love would be demonstrated. That we would be drawn to God because of his kindness. And reconciliation would happen between us and God and each other. And so could it be that our actions have this kind of impact? 
Remember how Matt talked about last week that we're demonstrating a kingdom culture? It could be that when we love people in this way, that Lanark would see and understand the sacrifice of Jesus. But it is impossible for us to have this heart on our own. This is something that we absolutely need God to transform us to be like. And then the next thing Jesus talks about is supernatural service. In verse 41, he says, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And so what Jesus is addressing right now is a law that the Romans had placed over the people that they were ruling over. Essentially, a Roman soldier could ask anybody to carry their equipment with them for a mile. And so Jesus was telling them not only to accept the Roman law, to be okay with it, but to go above and beyond what's being asked them. To care about the Roman soldier so much that you would go another mile with them, to go beyond what they had asked. To consider their time more important than your time. To consider giving your energy to them more important than saving it for yourself. And the Roman would be considered an enemy of the Jew. And so the heart here was total, a total reversal of a perspective of the people of Rome. And so although we, we're not occupied by another country, right? We do have various types of authorities in our lives, like, like our bosses, right? So... We, many of us work for somebody and um, sometimes we're asked to do things we don't necessarily want to do or like to do but it's totally within their realm of authority and so the idea behind this is a heart that's willing a heart that's willing to serve those in authority over us in order to demonstrate God's love to them and this is something that like, this is hard for me to process through because, you know, work can be difficult sometimes. And this is not something that I can conjure up on my own or be super excited about when I get the yucky bucket work at work. But um, the, the one who's been transformed by God gets excited about this and wants to demonstrate God's love to those in authority. And so where, where's your heart today? Are you willing to volunteer to go an extra mile when you've been asked to do something you don't want to do? And is it from a willing heart or is it out of obligation because you know that Jesus said, hey, go an extra mile, so I'm going to go an extra mile. The thing that I want to remind us is that Jesus is showing us what a transformed heart looks like. In other words, that a person who does these things, who goes the extra mile, is someone who has been transformed by God. It reveals who we're filled with, that we've been emptied of ourselves and filled with God. And so are we, are we filled with Christ? So, and the thing that I've been thinking about is like, let's beg to be filled with Christ. We know we can't do this on our own. 
And so, as if these things aren't difficult enough, <laughs> let's, let's look at the next verse here. And this is something, you know, people, people argue about this passage a lot. And I, I mean, I think it's worth talking about. So verse 42 says, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So Jesus is talking about what a supernatural, natural generosity looks like. And this is pretty straightforward, right? You give to the one who begs from you, and you do not refuse from the one who borrows from you. It sounds simple, but when it comes down to it, when that situation actually comes up, when, when it comes time to practice things, and then it starts to get kind of hard. It's like, well, do I really give to that person? My, my wife and I, we have a Sunday tradition of relaxation <laughs> in the evening time. We usually hang out with our friends, uh, the Manleys, and uh, we'll play a sport or a board game, eat dinner together, watch a movie, play video games, just generally hang out, talk, and relax. And one of these nights, uh, James and I were going to pick up food, and we were uh, stopping by Natural Cafe, and I was walking up to the door with James and this guy I can see him coming out of the corner of my eye he just comes walking right up to me doesn't deviate he wasn't walking aimlessly wasn't walking around he came right up to me and he said in the name of Jesus buy me dinner <laughs> like, like how do you argue with that right I was like okay <laughs> like okay let's go get some dinner and uh the guy was a little interesting. Um, so <laughs> we were standing in line, you know, waiting to order food. And um, he asked me, hey, do you think missionaries save people or do preachers save people, pastors save people? And I said, neither. I think God saves people. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, you know what I mean. Do missionaries save people? And I just said, oh, I think God saves people. And... Um, and so we finally get up to the front and he orders his food and he sits down. He just walked off and sit, sat down and kept talking about missionaries and pastors and um, to himself. And uh, I was super uncomfortable the whole time because he was really loud and I'm sitting in there waiting for my food. And, um, and then after I get my food, I walk up to him. With, James and I walk up to him. I was like, hey, you know, is there anything that can pray for you about or do and uh, he said pray for me I'll pray for you I'll pray for the world my holiness exceeds yours <laughs> I was just like what? I was like okay um, so I just said okay well see you later <laughs> so I, James and I left and uh, nothing really amazing happened right that was kind of a crazy story but but, like, I really believe that that's what God wanted me to be doing in that moment. And so, when we read passages like the ones that we've read, or this one about giving to the one who begs and lending, it's just like, you know, how, how do we live out these passages? That's the question that comes to my mind. It's like, well, how am I going to do this every day when, you know, someone else comes up to me and says, in the name of Jesus, buy me dinner? <laughs> And I don't know. I don't know how we're supposed to live out these things every day. 
But what I do know is I know to go to God, to continually seek God for wisdom, to be led by the Spirit in order to know how to respond in each of these situations. One day, a friend of mine and I were uh, talking about a similar passage in Luke. And um, I was telling him, you know, I really do think that God is telling us to, to give to people who ask, like, when they ask us for things. And so we were talking about it, and he's like, but what about something that you absolutely need, like your glasses? Uh, like, what if someone asks you for your glasses? And it, those of you who don't know, I am so blind. Like, I, I cannot see without my glasses. My wife tells me that when I take off my glasses and I look at her, it looks like I'm staring through her. <laughs> so I guess that's what it's like to kind of be blind. I'm not totally blind, but pretty, pretty close. <laughs> like, I can see stuff that close. You know, if it's about a foot in front of me, I can see it. But anything beyond that, it starts to get a little hazy. <laughs> Um, and so he said, what, what if someone asked you for your glasses? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what I would do if, you know, something, someone asked me for something essential. And, um, and so, funny thing, just a little bit after that, I was in downtown L.A. on Skid Row. And um, I was with some friends. We were talking with people, passing out food. And this one guy comes up to me and asks me, Hey, do you have any glasses? <laughs> and I need some glasses really bad. And I said, Oh, you know what? I, I don't have any glasses with me. And then I thought, Oh, wait, I'm wearing some. And I was like, Well, why don't you try on my glasses? And if, if they work, then you can keep them. And I thought, You know, like part of me, it's like, There's no way. Because they're a prescription, you know, how they measure the distance of your eyes and everything. And uh, he put them on and he said, They're perfect. <laughs> like, how in the world? How are they perfect? And so I said, Yeah, go ahead, keep them. And um, I guess I answered the question, right? It was like, yeah, I guess I would give up my glasses. And it was just, it was cool, too. That day I hadn't driven to Skid Row, and so I, I got a ride with somebody else, got my contacts, and I was good to go. And then uh, what happened next was funny, too, is uh, I, I went to go get new glasses, because I just got... I, just gave mine away. And, um, and I went to the optometrist and my doctor's like, why? Like, why do you need new glasses already? I just gave you these. And, and I told her the story and her assistant. And it was just a really cool opportunity to share the gospel. So not only did God give me the opportunity and work through me to care for another person, but then also to show that care and love that God has for people um, with my optometrist. <laughs> and so the impact of what God has designed us to be goes far beyond what we can understand. We, don't, we can't even imagine what might happen, you know, when we walk out the door today and, and the ways that God is calling us to be a light. And the common theme throughout all these passages is an uncalculated, unmeasurable amount of love and self-sacrifice for evil people and just people in general. 
to consider others' needs more than ourselves, to have a, a complete humility and meekness to our lives that we're willing to go an extra mile for other, other people. And so we may not run into these examples every day of our life, but the question is, is are we willing to be led by the Spirit? Are we willing to allow God to work in our lives, to allow God to transform us so that our interactions with people look like this? And are we willing to even show evil people the love that God has given us? And Jesus is the ultimate example of this humility and meekness. Paul writes in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. In heaven and on earth, oh, above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this, this passage is huge, right? Any, this starts off, any participation in the Spirit. I just love that part. If there's any participation in the Spirit, and then verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. These are impossible. <laughs> this is impossible without God. These things are absolutely the outpouring of a transformed heart that when we've been emptied of ourselves and filled with God, we will look like this. We will be a people that can face evil people and show them incredible kindness. And we will, we will have the ability to care for others supernaturally even when others are trying to shame us or humiliate us. And we will be a light and bring love in these difficult situations. We will be like Christ. And so let's pray that God would fill us with this type of love, kindness, and meekness for people around us. And that God would give us love for those that we don't love. So let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you so much for this morning, and I just thank you for your amazing grace. And I just ask that you would transform my heart, that you transform our hearts, that we would live um, like you've designed us to live. God, these things are impossible. I look at this and I'm just like, there's no way. How do I do this? I don't know. And uh, I just pray, God, that you would give us wisdom and show us how to live out these passages. God, I just pray that it would be out of a sincere heart that we live out these truths. I pray that you, that these things would be things that uh, are qualities that you've made us to be and not things that we try to do on our own strength, Lord. I just thank you for all the ways that you provide for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.